Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, my name is Danielle and I'm here with Corey. Hello. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. Before we get started, I just want to mention that recently my episodes have been running some ads. Uh, That's been going on for the last few weeks. I'm still trying to figure out how to get those inserted properly after the episode is already up and recorded. So if things sound a bit rough, I apologize. I am working on it, but please bear with me. This week, we're going to talk about the most Canadian crime that has ever happened, to my knowledge. We're discussing the Canadian maple syrup heist. I think it's like it's no mystery that we're known for maple syrup. I have had American maple syrup, and it's pretty good too, but it's not quite the same. Well, Canada might be known for maple syrup, but maybe if I thought about this, I would have known it. But the bulk of that credit goes to Quebec. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I know in New Brunswick, we, there was actually not very far from my house. I know there was a place that um, that made maple syrup. It was like maple syrup farm, but yeah, I think there's small ones kind of dotted around all across Canada. But Quebec really has almost the monopoly on that. We'll get into the numbers a little bit. I was actually surprised by the amounts that they produce. I think most of us were aware that there had been a large theft of maple syrup in Canada some years ago. Um, A lot of people laughed about it on a lot of different shows and you saw it in the headlines. But I didn't know how elaborate this scheme was. My hand is not up for this portion of the podcast. I had no idea. Yeah. I don't think I had ever heard about this. Oh, like, not at Like all? at all. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about it and people joking about it, but I, di- I never really read into it. So I didn't know how grand a scheme, how how big a theft it was. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because it seems like such a ridiculous concept. Maybe I did know and kind of just put it out of my head because... So there's a Netflix show called Dirty Money. A lot of the information that I'm going to be talking about today I got from their episode on the maple syrup heist. If you enjoy the episode, it's definitely worth checking it out. And as it often happens, you'll find that some details will differ depending on what source you're looking at for your information. I mean, overall, it's pretty close, but some of the numbers on how much was stolen, how much it was worth, and things like that are a little bit different from source to source. Before we get into the theft, I have to explain a little bit about how maple syrup is distributed in Quebec. So one would think that it's as simple as producing the syrup, so being a producer, and selling it either independently or through a bigger manufacturer, as most goods are sold. But this isn't the case. So in Quebec, there's a federation of maple syrup distributors. They were formed years ago, but became exclusive sales agents of maple syrup in 2004. So the concept behind this federation is that they'd have a certain degree of control on the market. Back in the day, if the production was low one year, a lot of maple farms couldn't make ends meet. It was difficult to have a good year and make a sustainable living one year, and then the next year have a really terrible year 
and have no income or very little coming in. I suspect that it's like that for a lot of different farmers where sometimes you have a really good year, sometimes you have a really bad, but apparently the market was quite volatile for the maple syrup industry and really difficult to make a sustainable living. So now through the Federation, the producers have quotas of how much maple syrup they distribute through the Federation, and the Federation actually sets the price that it's going to be sold at. That would kind of make more sense, I guess, for the fairness of the business. Well, yes and no. It's very good in a way because if they have a good year or a bad year, it doesn't really matter because what happens during a good year, all the surplus goes into a reserve and stays there and is distributed on the years where they don't yield as much maple syrup. This federation is actually private, but it's sanctioned by the government. Well, that's how they regulate fuel, right? Right. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense. Then the reason that they're actually able to do this in Quebec, they're actually able to regulate the price, is because the province of Quebec actually produces 94% of the maple syrup in Canada. Wow. And 77% worldwide, according to Wikipedia. Super wow. That's a lot. (laughs) That's crazy. So they have control of the market. As a province, they control the market. Yeah. I think the idea was if they all band together, they have that ability to control the market. Whereas if you have single... If you have single producers just setting whatever price they want and not being united, they're not able to regulate the price. So this just formed a more even market where year after year, the producers are sort of getting the same income coming in where yeah. it doesn't fluctuate so much. Does that take away any opportunity for branding as well? I feel like it doesn't because you do see a lot of different brands going out there. I honestly don't know, but I suspect if it's surplus product, it might not be. However, if it's a yearly quota, you might be able to brand it. Yeah, I'm wondering if like if there's any product outside of their quota, if they can keep that and sell that. They cannot. Really? So this is where we get problematic with the Federation. It was mentioned several times in the Dirty Money episode that the Federation really started with good intentions, but like a lot of stuff, it didn't last. They were trying to help the maple syrup producers make a steady income and earn their livelihood through what they were doing. But now they say it's run almost like a cartel with total power over the maple syrup production in Quebec, and it's a very serious business. There are some producers that are very much for the Federation, but you have producers that are completely against it and also want a free market. The Federation has the power to inspect facilities and hand out fines to producers who aren't following the protocols and are selling maple syrup outside of the Federation. And I'm not talking about a $100 fine. Like we're talking about a smaller farm that was fined $50,000 for not following Federation protocol. And where does that money go? To the Federation. And from there, where does it go? (laughs) Probably to somebody's pockets, maybe? More than likely. And some of those fines were even taken up to to court to the supreme court and at one point it was ruled that i forget the word for it but they basically ruled against it saying the federation wasn't allowed to charge those fines but that was overturned like a year later and what the anti-federation people say is that basically the federation is so strong that even if they're ruled against they're going to find someone to rule in their favor later on and overturn any of those rulings that are not in their favor. Because the Federation has all these rules and regulations to control the market, it actually caused the development of a black market from anti-Federation maple syrup producers. 
Now, I understand that everything that I said in the sentence sounds <laughs> completely crazy and actually kind of silly, but if you watch the documentary and you read up on it, this is really serious business for a lot of people. Not only is it their livelihood, but the whole Federation anti-Federation is a big deal. Most of us probably don't think much about the price of maple syrup other than what we're paying for it in the store, but one single barrel of maple syrup is apparently worth between $1,300 and $1,800. That's nuts. Which is about 20 to 30% more than the price of oil. Yeah, that's crazy. It is. We discussed how the Federation would keep a reserve of surplus maple syrup, and the way they would keep this is they would rent warehouses, put the syrup into barrels, and just house the barrels in there until you had a lower production year. But you can imagine having a barrel of maple syrup worth thirteen to $1,800. If you have hundreds of barrels in a warehouse, that adds up very quickly. Yeah. And if you have the wrong person with the wrong connection having access to that warehouse with the potential of making a lot of money off of its back, you might run into problems. So then in 2011 through to 2012, that's exactly what happened. A man named Avic Caron was approached by the Federation of Quebec Maple Syrup Producers Avic owned a warehouse, and the Federation was asking to rent out some space in order to store some of their barrels. The surplus of maple syrup is referred to as the Global Strategic Supply of Maple Syrup, which I feel is a very official title for barrels of maple syrup. Caron agreed to rent the space to the Federation, but I'm assuming unbeknownst to them, he actually has a criminal past. I'm guessing they didn't look into his background or they didn't really think much of it if they did. There's a guy with a warehouse, they need the space. Exactly. And I mean, if nothing had happened in the past, they maybe wouldn't think too much about what problems could potentially occur. Yeah. Caron didn't know very much about maple syrup distribution, but he knew that his warehouse housed millions of dollars worth of maple syrup. And he also knew that he had the keys to that warehouse. Caron met with a truck driver named Sébastien Jutra. Jutra had a truck and therefore had the means to move the barrels of maple syrup. But they would need someone who had connections and abilities to find sellers for the syrup. So into this equation enters Richard Valliard. Valliard was apparently well known in the maple syrup world, which is a thing. He was anti-Federation and had been fined in the past for selling maple syrup on the black market. More importantly to Caron, though, he had connections in that world and the ability to find interested buyers. They ended up finding this connection in a man named Etienne Saint-Pierre, who was a New Brunswick resident. Now, there's a bit of a murky part here, and it's not well clarified in the documentary, but from what I understand... The Federation only has any kind of polar jurisdiction in the province of Quebec. Saint-Pierre is a New Brunswick resident, and I believe his seller's license wasn't in Ontario. Him buying black market maple syrup would have theoretically been illegal, but at the same time, his argument is he doesn't fall under that jurisdiction, so he can buy maple syrup from whoever he wants. That being said, this maple syrup was stolen. Yeah, I mean, you can buy it from whoever you want, but you know, it's still a stolen product. Stolen is stolen. If you're caught with stolen goods, whether or not you knew they were stolen, they're not yours anymore. Exactly. Now, all the players are in place, and the group needs to come up with a plan. 
They couldn't just load up a truck and go. The Federation would have noticed this right away. They would have noticed if they had hundreds of missing barrels. So the group found themselves another warehouse space and rented a forklift. So they would take some barrels from the Federation Reserve, bring them to the second warehouse, and empty the barrels into their own. Then they would fill the Federation barrels with water and return them to the warehouse. So this went on over quite a long period of time, over 2011 and 2012. This was happening right under the Federation's nose, and they had no idea that it was going on. Well, it's not their warehouse. They're not keeping an eye on it. You're trusting the the owner to sort of keep an eye on your product. So how would they know unless they're doing routine inspections? Well, I would think, well, I'm assuming routine inspections are a thing now. So at the time, it, it looked like they were only doing a yearly inspection. And everything unraveled really quickly when it came time for that inspection. So what happened was an inspector was climbing up some barrels to check things out, which I'm fairly certain would go against all the health and safety regulations, but that's what happened. In Canada, anything over eight feet, you need to have a retractable harness. There you go. (laughs) But as he was climbing up, he nearly fell because he grabbed onto a barrel, which according to a Vanity Fair article, should have weighed 600 pounds. But when he grabbed onto it, it was actually empty. Oh, wow. So he went to hoist himself up and and grabbed an empty barrel. So he almost fell. Immediately, that sounded alarm bells. So they started checking the barrels and quickly discovered that a lot of the barrels were empty. And also, a lot of them were actually filled with water. Yeah, the part in the documentary I thought was really interesting, uh, or the, sorry, the part in the episode I thought was really interesting was the, the fact that maple syrup-filled barrels don't generate condensation. Mm-hmm. So that's how they knew they were filled with water, because there was condensation and rust on the outside of the yes. drums. Yep. I was like, huh, that's really interesting. At this point, the Sûreté du Québec, which is their um, provincial police force, they were called in, an investigation began. They put about 250 investigators on the case, And in total, they discovered that 9,561 barrels were missing. So this would total, depending on the price of the barrel at the time, it would total about $18 million worth of syrup. And this was about a quarter of the National Reserve. That's insane. This is what I remember back then when people were talking about it. This is what I remember people laughing about Canada having a National Reserve of maple syrup. Well... I mean, if it comes from us and you you want to get it, probably good that it is re- regulated. I just don't think the way it's regulated is necessarily working for everyone. At first, the Sûreté did not have any suspects, but it didn't take them long to discover who owned the warehouse, which was Caron, and connect him to Jutra and Valial. Jutra, who transported the maple syrup, claims that he wasn't aware that it was stolen, but he quickly flipped on the others in the group and gave the police information in order to take the other men to trial. Caron, Valliard, and Etienne Saint-Pierre were all found guilty of the theft. Caron received a six-year sentence and a $1.7 million fine. Valliard got an eight-year prison sentence and a $10 million fine, and Saint-Pierre received two years house arrest and a $1 million fine. According to an article on thestar.com, more people were fined, but they were minor players compared to those we just discussed. There remains a lot of strong feelings in the province about whether or not the Federation has the right to act as it does and control the market. Some people who oppose the Federation seem to view the theft as sort of a folk story and view the thieves as folk heroes. No matter where you land on your thoughts about the Federation, though, you kind of have to agree that this is, that this is kind of the most Canadian crime that 
I mean, we've ever covered on the podcast. I think it has to be probably the most Canadian crime ever. I mean, what else do we have? (laughs) I thought it was a bit interesting to read about because if you read up a little bit or watch some documentaries on farming, there is a lot of talk about how it's this one big corporation that basically owns all of the farms and controls the market on it. So it's kind of the same idea. And I think it's like everything else, like when one entity gets too big and blocks out all the smaller um, businesses, it just becomes very difficult for anyone to make any kind of a living. We're going to kind of flip this around and wind down with our moment of kindness tonight. I recently had to go to the bank with a question about an in- about an insurance payment. And once I got there and started talking to the teller, I quickly realized that I actually should have been calling my insurance company about this and not talking to the teller because it, it really wasn't his line of work. But that being said, the teller was actually super helpful and actually tried to find some answers for what I was asking. Um, he went out of his way to help me even though it wasn't his job or his department. And it actually felt nice to have someone put in the little bit of extra effort when it would have been perfectly acceptable for him to say that he didn't know or suggest that I call my insurance company. We both work in retail environments, and I know sometimes you really don't have time to help people, especially when it's sort of out of what you, out of the realm of what you're doing. And sometimes you also don't have the patience to deal with things like that because you have so much to deal with already on a daily basis. So I thought it was really nice of him to be helpful. It is always nice when somebody that knows how to help or, or you know, they might not be an expert in your situation, but might know where to redirect you or something. That's it is usually nice when people step up. I'm on, my moments of kindness all this week would have been things that I've done for people. <laughs> so I do my own shout out this week. I mean, you were very kind to me. You helped me find tires, amongst other things. So I'll shout out to you for helping me with that. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. I'm going to be putting up a poll on the Facebook group um, so that you guys can help me pick a topic for next week's episode. I have a few that I'm working on. So just, I guess, maybe giving you a little bit more power in deciding which one we're going to do. So if you're part of the Facebook group, share your thoughts, or you can also join the group so we can get your input on the poll. We're Crime and Mystery Canada on Facebook and Instagram, and you can also write in at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. I hope everyone stays safe out there and have a good night. Oh, we should be drinking maple syrup (laughs) instead of wine. (laughs) Oh, we could have gotten maple syrup water. Oh, I don't feel like that. That would be not good. Why? I don't feel like that'd be good. I feel like it'd be delicious. It's like maple syrup before it's boiled down. It's what comes out of the tree. Yeah. How would we do that? You can buy it. Oh, really? Yeah, in like a juice box. No way. Are you serious? I. It's a totally a thing. I'm not making okay. it up. Okay, so we're not going to go in the backyard and like suck on a tree or anything? You've never done that? <laughs> no. We had a maple tree in our... <laughs> you did not. Nope. We did too. We had a maple tree. We used to rent a house in the village where I grew up before my parents bought their house. 
And that's how I discovered what maple syrup was because we were licking the tree that was leaking one spring. <laughs> I hope you leave all this sweet. in. I hope you leave all this in. I probably won't leave it in. Oh, but come we were, on. <laughs> we were literally licking the tree and it was really sweet. And we were Is like, it really oh. sticky though? No. It's okay. super runny. Like it's water, like flavored water. That's why you have to boil it a time. Okay. Just because in my neighborhood, it was like mostly, you know, like all the woods behind our house was mostly, you know coniferous trees and they're really sappy oh yeah it's not like tree sap at all 